The following audio is via a Skype call. And what happens if they do become hostile? And God help us. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy Saturday to you. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a weekend. Glad to have you with us and glad to be working once again with tall guy Nathan at the board. Nathan, how are you today, sir? Hey, it's Gary. Hey, Suzanne. Wait, did I just say Hayes? Uh, man, I must be looking out the window too much. Uh-oh. Is yeah, it we got the again? Hayes coming back. It again. thought it was gone, but here it is. Oh, no. Wow. Mm. That's uh, what a perennial problem that is becoming, has become in the Pacific Northwest. I do give that a fair amount of thought. And here we are 3,000 miles away diagonally on the Gulf Coast of Florida. And yet we think about you guys there and wonder just how everybody does. How is the breathing? There are people that have taken to bringing in extra oxygen. Can you imagine well, fortunately, this time around, the air quality index is much lower, not getting into the upper 200 levels. It's actually staying right around 50, so still really breathable. It's just a little bit harder to see out there. And okay. how are we doing for tree mold and pollen? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the least of our concerns right now with all this smoke. <laughs> to say nothing of the murder hornets. <laughs> Good heavens. <laughs> Those folks Things in, are interesting out yes, in, in the Bay, Blaine, yes. at the BC, uh, by the P-Sarch, not far away from it anyway. They're finding these guys. Oh, I hope Whatcom County and the state succeeds in eliminating that. We need some eradication up there, and I'm sure you folks are working on that. Mm-hmm. Like we have nothing else to deal with in this yeah. world. Today we are going to have a very good time with someone who whose office we visited when she was on the Away. job in D.C., right. we met her personal assistant, who was quite kind, and we got a little tour of the office and just love the neighborhood it's in. They're in Bozeman, Montana, beautiful Bozeman, which is one of the gateways to Yellowstone National Park. Really a remarkable business and profession, and, and I guess the word I want to use is mission, that Deidre Combs is on. It's about conflict resolution, recognizing it for what it is. And dealing with it when you have disparate parties, each of whom have their own priorities, their own agenda, their own needs. And she finds a way to juggle all those balls worldwide. And that makes her a very valuable human being. She also happens to be a multi-published author with works along the theme of growing from conflict and using it to become someone on a hero's journey and to treat your adversaries as teachers to understand and embrace the way of conflict. So we have plenty to talk about over the balance of this hour. Why don't we bring her on air, Suzanne? That's the name of one of her books. Dr. Deidre Combs is an international consultant, instructor, and speaker who coaches individuals and teams to overcome difficult circumstances. She is the author of The Way of Conflict, Worst Enemy, Best Teacher, and Thriving Through Tough Times. We are thrilled to have her back once again with us. Hello, Deidre Combs from Montana. Hello, you two. What a joy to be with you again. This is what a treat. 
something to look forward to all week. <laughs> when Gary uh, originally talked to you about coming on today, we were just thinking conflict, conflict, conflict. We just see it everywhere all the time. And then I went to grab your books and I see thriving through tough times. And I said, oh, we can talk about that too. There is just so much to talk to you about right now because I feel like we are in a world of conflict and we are thriving. We are going through tough times right now. So the gate is wide open, Gary. Where do you want to begin? I guess I would like to begin, Deidre, and thank you for that, Suzanne. Okay, to I'll bat lead off here. What are we going to do with all of this fatigue that I keep hearing about, Deidre Combs? People are in conflict fatigue, issues fatigue. Everything's a bombshell. Everything's a breaking news item. Political fatigue. Right. Like, oh, my God, November 3rd. Is this finally going to be over in another month? COVID fatigue. It, you name it. There's fatigue. protest fatigue. Everybody is tired of all this stuff that's going on. Deidre, we need your help. <laughs> I know. So, so you can tell why I love to study um, how to deal with difficult situations, um, looking for perennial wisdom from a, around the world, um, because we all need it. I need it. I'm. I I keep going back to my books and saying, okay. Here we go. <laughs> we, I'm going to get through this. I mean, it is indeed difficult, difficult times. Um, what you're describing so beautifully is what it's like when a human being is dealing with rapid change over a long period of time. And anytime we have change of any kind, there's always some degree of conflict. Um, there's four different types of conflict, right? We've got these internal conflicts. Should I take a job? Should I not? Um, should I stay in this relationship? Should I not? He's got the conflicts that we're seeing very clearly in our world right now, these interpersonal conflicts, um, you know, lovely display of that in the um, debate on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> we've got conflicts with in infrastructure institutions, um, you know, our uh, frustrations and battles against um, you know, maybe our state government, maybe uh, our, you know, our organization calling for something better. And then we have these conflicts where we're just yelling at the sky, you know, kind of uh, uh, <laughs> as many do, or just, you know, looking out at the world and going, really, really, we're going to do that with this, with this? And I think of uh, my friends in, in Seattle and I'm here in Bozeman, Montana, um, with, you know, take COVID and let's just add some forest fires and, um, you know, struggles with peaceful, peaceful protests being um, upended. And, uh, you know, it is, just goes on and on and on. So no wonder we're exhausted. No wonder. Um, because our brains are um, wired to be watching for threat. And every time we're turning around, there's a perception of threat. Um, it's uh, one of our gifts. It keeps us safe, but it also keeps us in our survival brain. And when we're in that space, um, kind of our reptilian brain at the base of our skull that does um, fight flight, it uses up our energy. So you described it so beautifully. We are exhausted. Um, but we, I'm hoping over this next hour, we can talk about 
some of the tips and techniques that we can use to bring ourselves back into a little more uh, centered place um, so that we're responding well no matter um, how others are responding. I hope we will do that. Sounds like a good use of our time, Deidre. Let me use as an example, because you made reference to it a few moments ago, last Tuesday night's presidential debate. Okay. I can remember, because I am a baby boomer, I am of a certain age, and I can clearly recall the presidential debate between incumbent Jimmy Carter and his challenger Ronald Reagan in 1980. And in I, I think they debated more than once, but at any rate, during this particular debate, Ronald Reagan turned to President Jimmy Carter and said, there you go again. And people were shocked. Wow, that, that seemed like an affront to many people to say to the sitting president of the United States, there you go again. Well, if you take that and juxtapose it to what we saw last Tuesday night, that was nothing. <laughs> In the, in the big scheme of things there in 1980, it was a big deal. How did we get from there when that was considered a bit shocking to what we just witnessed this week, which seemed like particularly, I will say, and I don't think I'm showing a bias. I think I'm registering what I saw, which, which was the president of the United States interrupting and to use an old term, hectoring, many would say heckling, hectoring his challenger and then it seemed perforce Joe Biden, the former vice president, felt it incumbent upon him to say something if he was going to get a few words in edgewise. That's how it appeared to me. My Republican friends might see it differently, but I would venture this, Deidre. Nobody in the American body politic was served by that display. Yeah, that seems to be the, the common um, uh, agreement, right? That that was just un unfortunate and didn't give us the information that we're all wanting in terms of policies and how we're going to create a more sustainable um, community in, in all of its forms. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think we could analyze lots of reasons why we could get to that kind of display on uh, national television. Um, but one of the things that is, you know, helps me is always to see what can I get that, uh, when, how can I get a, a sense of the battlefield that we're on? And um, there were 90, over 90 interruptions, and 71 of those were by uh, Donald Trump. So that helps me to say, okay, let me get a sense of what I was, what I was seeing and what I was dealing with, um, you know, and trying to, to process it. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, so how do we get back into our objective, like you're saying, our, um, you know, our, our best brain, uh, the, you know, the best part of our brain that's going to function um, to give us the information we need to move forward. Uh, when people scare us, um, and uh, I, I have been struck by this week how upsetting, especially for my women friends, um, to have that uh, that aggressive, um, as someone called it, man unhinged uh, <laughs> um, uh, experience that that can trigger things in us that send us just absolutely into fight flight. So we can't quite figure out um, what's just happened. 
but one of the, the gifts that we have is that there's all these hacks, I like to call them, um, on how to get ourselves out of a reptilian brain into our neocortex so that we can better analyze the situation we're in and to, and to move forward with good next steps. Um, the first, and, uh, you know, this is, I always say, if people remember nothing else from me is to remember when conflict comes in all of its forms, be grateful. And that seems so amazingly counterintuitive uh, <laughs> because it really feels like we should just run or punch someone or freeze. Um, but if we're grateful, uh, the way our brain is cobbled together it, it has different components that will dominate our drive. So to get into our neocortex where we think in past, present, and future, where we can, re, we can respond, where we can analyze um, what we've just seen and get a better sense of the battlefield, um, we only can process gratitude in our neocortex. So if we can stop when we're, when we're being triggered, and start to think of things that we're grateful for. It almost doesn't matter what we're thinking of, but it gets us into a place where our brain has to activate the neocortex. Um, even better is if we can be grateful for these opponents. Um, it, it, it makes it, uh, that seems to, to trick us even better. Um, you see this, I'll just add a little bit, you see this on the martial arts mat. And I always talk about this, but it's a great symbol for me. It's like, how do I see myself as the martial artist stepping onto the mat and bowing and saying, thank you for this opportunity to learn. Um, I know you could hurt or destroy me. We're not, we're not in a Pollyanna state here. Um, you know, show me, let's, let's do this. Um, so I'm ready. Um, I am aware of the reality, but I'm also in a place of gratitude that I get to do this, which um, then gets me to be able to say, oh my gosh, what in the world is going on right now? I'm Gary and I were <laughs> Gary and I were having this conversation just this morning uh, over some um, uh, heroes' journey cards that we draw once a week on a Saturday, and and what you're describing is what Gary's card was saying, and that is right. to welcome these challenges because this is part of your soul's growth rather than you know wincing or saying oh not again. Or, you know, why me, why me? You know, our, our, uh, our admonition today was uh, smile, laugh, and, and welcome these challenges because you know you're going to get your soul's growth out of it. That that is the you. best way to, you know, create a bigger you, a more compassionate you, uh, you know, a, a better person, more, more able to handle challenges is to realize that nobody's getting out of this life without them. Exactly. Well, and, it, and it's also hard. So how do we hold that paradox of, you know, conflict, quite honestly, sucks. It, it's stressful. It's, you know, it's scary. Um, it, it takes us out of our comfortable place. There's loss. Um, so how to hold that and absolutely everything you just said that we don't get better unless we're tested. Uh, we, you know, we get to be here and learn as a result. Uh, and if we can take advantage of the incredible opportunities that lie in change, 
if you notice, I, you know, things don't get better without things changing. I mean, obviously, if we're in a place of homeostasis, that's where we are. I'm, I always try to remind myself when I'm thinking, really, I don't want to do this, is have you ever improved? Has your life ever improved without some degree of conflict? So you're, you're saying that wonderfully. Um, I also, you, you, you make me think about the role of humor. Um, yes. And how humor is such an incredible, it's a hack. Um, when we can laugh, especially at the cosmic joke, um, it puts us into a place of some degree of detachment, right? Where we can be open to the outcome, not attached to the outcome. Uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating. If um, you look all around the world, we're told to detach. And not to detach um, in, in any way of, of turning away. It's, uh, as one of my mentors, Angelus Arian, used to say, is to love, love deeply from an objective place. So how do we love this world? How do we love our communities? How do we, um, you know, love our work? And at the exact, exact same play, way is to get up into our neocortex and prefrontal lobes and, um, and uh, do it objectively. And one of the ways we do that is giggling. Um, it's, uh, um, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, one of the quotes that I hold of his is he said, you know, without my sense of humor, I would have committed suicide long ago. Um, it's like, wow, you know, so very striking holding that paradox of the incredible sadness and suffering he saw, but that he could somehow find, find that cosmic joke and to be able to laugh at himself as well. You know, when I was uh, a younger person, um, school age, high school, there was some kind of mythology that was being passed around uh, about how the most intelligent people are kind of uh, moody and into themselves because they're so brilliant and, uh, you know, quiet and, and introverted and um, depressed. This was, this was something that I was hearing about when I was in high school. And so I thought, okay, so the, the smartest people in the world are really kind of depressed. Later on, and maybe I was in college, I don't know, I was hearing the kind of thing that you're saying about laughing and um, somebody was saying, uh, like Einstein had a great sense of humor, and it turned out that what I was hearing in high school was really just mythology, that the very smartest people in the world do see this as a cosmic joke. They don't take themselves or life too seriously. They find humor in everything. And uh, I, I think that's such a great way to look at the world, to, to see the humor in things. And I have known people who, through whatever circumstances, good, bad, or indifferent, they see the humor in things. And I don't know if that's detachment or not, but I do like the idea of not taking ourselves or the world so seriously and to seeing how you know, everything that we're scrambling around to do, all the difference we're looking to make, who cares? I mean, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a game we're playing while we're here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, and I love that there's the paradox in that. Um, 
for me, I feel like if I'm getting close to a truth, it's paradoxical. Um, you know, we see poetry is uh, always carries beautiful paradox in it, right? It's the, it's the, you know, the the seeing the incredible sadness and the joy, and the impatient patience, and um, and you're bringing up so well that how someone who would be so engaged in the world and relieving suffering, um, unlike Mahatma Gandhi, was able to at the exact same time hold a place of humor. And oh my gosh, this is a this, what a crazy lifetime this is. Um, yeah. So I, I, I another favorite quote that a friend always says to me is like, you know, life is too important to be taken seriously. Um, and so, you know, there's the paradox, I like that. Uh, yeah, beautifully uh, held within it, right? Um, and and the same thing for ourselves is. How can we hold self-deprecating humor and our own innate talents and um, uh, contributions? So how do I take myself, you know, completely unseriously seriously, um, you know? And uh, so there's that I, I, you're bringing this up uh, in, a, in a way that it really helps me to think about, um, you know, where is it that we're standing? Um, you know, am I, am I immobilized on this is who I am and this is what the world is, or am I nimble and moving? And in these times, we're really called to um, being adaptable. Uh, when I'm being asked to speak uh, to different audiences, uh, now it's fun. I get asked to do that around the world from my, you know, from my home office. <laughs> You know, I was just uh, talking to some professors in uh, a university in uh, Guatemala, and uh, a week later with a coalition of professors in Bangladesh, and um, I, you know, asked, what would you like me to talk about? And everybody wants to talk about, you know, how do we move in crisis? How do we deal with this rapid change? I mean, everybody is, we're all struggling with this. And every time I keep coming back to is, it's in uncertainty. I mean, I feel like I've, again, on those calls, if nothing else, I wanted in, you know, in uncertainty, we have to think in terms of being nimble, um, adaptable, and, uh, and, and detachment is what calls us to do that. How do we creatively um, implement our vision? How do we turn on a dime? Um, and, uh, you know, especially talking to teachers, as you can imagine, you know, many of these professors have been, you know, have created their careers in a in a brick and mortar classroom, uh, and so yeah, it it and and to be able to the the professors that I you know was getting comments from who were the happiest were the ones who were saying I never thought I was going to do this in this life. Oh my gosh, I have learned so much. Oh, I make such a mess of things some days. You know, they're holding that lightness um, and finding joy in this new opportunity, which is. Um, inspiring to me. I do feel like we have learned how to do things differently during uh, COVID-19, um, how to go out less, shop less, uh, how to shelter at home, how to keep ourselves interested in life and busy doing things. And, and um, you know, I don't know that things are going to go back to the way they were. Uh, I don't think we can say, okay, let's turn the clock back to, you know, December 2019 and let's have things be like that again. 
I think this rapid change is going to continue so that, you know, unlike a, a rubber band where we're going back to an original shape, we're actually going to be taking things into a new direction. All of these food delivery places and all of the, the uh, restaurants that are now uh, delivering food or have takeout that never did before, oh, it wasn't a big thing. Now it's a big thing. And so, you know, we're, we're really doing life differently just because of this one pandemic. And I can see that applying in a lot of different areas of our lives in ways that we may not even know yet. Yes, exactly. And uh, I'm excited about seeing some of the breakthroughs that are happening. You know, there's innovation and adaption, and then there's these beautiful breakthrough solutions that if we hadn't had these constraints, um, we might not have found. I've been, you know, watching... Uh, you know, again, I was uh, talking to someone yesterday, interviewing him for a, on a on a facilitate. I was facilitating a facilitator, and it was a beautiful. His whole focus is on virtual meetings, and he had been working on them last year um, to some extent. But this, you know, this whole focus on all you're doing is virtual facilitations um, has. It, it, it was so you know he's a master right he's been really greasing the groove you know really practicing in this and watching some of the breakthrough in a, you know um solutions he has about innovate um facilitating online it's like we wouldn't have gotten this from him these gifts from him if uh, this hadn't happened um you know for i'll just give you an example um so often i always think well when i'm in on you know with a, in a group where I'm facilitating in person, um, there's always this, this sense of setting an intention uh, as people are coming in, feeling the room, um, you know, making sure that everybody uh, feels seen, and watching how he didn't say, which I watched to myself, I'm like, oh, we can't really do that because I'm not in the room, right? So that's my kind of my adaptation compromise. He's like, oh no, here's how I have how I set an intention in a virtual room. And it was extraordinary to, to see his work. Um, Joran um, Oppelt, I'll call him out, uh, and you can Google him, and uh, he's got a great new book coming out around virtual meetings. So that's what I, there's, I hold some hope, is that there's going to be new innovations in teaching that we've never, um, we wouldn't have been able to get to. Um, at, you know, as just or facilitation, um, or as you're saying, you know, uh, delivering food or dealing with food that might have been wasted. Um, we had very strange delivery systems around food that was only used for um, kitchens, right, and and schools versus food that was going to grocery stores, and all this food was getting wasted. Um, so hopefully, we're this is this is calling us to do things better. Our guest this hour is Dr. Diedrich Holmes, an international consultant, instructor, and speaker who coaches individuals and teams to overcome difficult circumstances. And we're all stocked up here around the world, particularly in America today, a month before a presidential election. When we come back, let's get into some of the, and I do not mean to discount or belittle, but the tips and tricks 
of conflict resolution because that's where people live on a daily basis. Conflict is unavoidable. If you so much as live in a cave to stare at the wall, don't be surprised if somebody says, hey, that's my cave. Get out of there. I'm going to have you evicted. It's always something, as Roseanne Rosanna Dana once said. So we'll take this up with Deidre Combs on the other side of a short break. How to handle conflict in your life. We are Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in, thank goodness, to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Garnet Schulhauser from Victoria, B.C. for what we call a little metaphysical Q&A. On Saturday, Kelly Sullivan Walden, the dream doctor, shows how dreams take us step-by-step on a hero's journey. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk, 1150. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell, and thank you, Undisputed Truth, for the smiling faces. 
They smile, but there's evil lurking within. There's no evil in Deidre Combs, however. Deidre Combs, if people would like to connect with you, you have three really, really useful, useful books. And the first one is The Way of Conflict. The second one is Worst Enemy, Best Teacher. And the third one is Thriving Through Tough Times. If there's a fourth one, I'm afraid I don't know what it is. But please tell people about your website, how they can connect with you, get your books, and anything else that you would like to share. Oh, wonderful. Oh, no, not a fourth book yet. I'm still writing, um, but uh, hope to have one more <laughs> if I can make that work. Um, my website is combsandcompany.com. Uh, and combs is like combs in your hair. And uh, you can find me there. You can contact me through the website. I do executive coaching, uh, facilitation, a lot of teaching. Uh, and uh, would um, love to love to hear from whoever I might be able to to support. And again, you can find all those books in the normal places, uh, <laughs> quote quote normal places that we find them today, both at okay. uh, independent bookstores and Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. I wanted to get into one of your books. Deidre, because I think there is a lot in it, and it graces our library. Here, our bookshelves are just absolutely chock full. But when we say we've got to throw out some books that we've read, we, we just have to pare back. We wouldn't think of doing that in the case of you. You are a permanent part of our household collection. Makes me happy. <laughs> and the book I'm referring to, Deidre, is Worst Enemy, Best Teacher. Let me set this up. Beautiful book, well-written, well-researched, and very insightful. Worst enemy, best teacher. Let me give you the context. I and many, many people across this country, maybe it's happened to you. I have had to unfriend or unfollow numerous people in my life because they are hell-bent on telling me that Donald Trump is the greatest thing that ever happened to America, that people who do not support him are un-American, and besides that, Joe Biden and his coterie of Democratic colleagues are a bunch of pedophiles who uh, run some kind of sex slave operation out of a D.C. pizzeria in the basement, and other QAnon nonsense that is spread around and with fervor. They not only believe it, they fully anticipate that I will come around to see the error in my thinking and accept not only their agenda, but their take on the world and the world of politics and the world of crime and the evil that lurks within. So if I have an enemy who is my teacher, how would I go about even beginning to reconcile such widely disparate points of view? Oh. That's the big question right now, isn't it? Um, I, you know, I think many of us have uh, been exposed to the Netflix piece, um, Social Dilemma, um, how some we're being fed more and more and more of uh, what we, just what we want to hear. Um, so what you're describing uh, is indeed, um, I think, a, a common experience for all of us where we're just like, really? How in the world are you holding that narrative um, and how it is? the way our social media is working, um, how we're being, that's being fed. So it is, 
indeed a huge, uh, a more structural conflict that we're dealing with on an interpersonal level. Um, I am encouraged. I just want to, you know, what I always look for is, is the bright spots and how we can build upon those. Uh, there's, uh, that seems to be one of the ways that uh, we find breakthroughs. Um, I can refer you to the work of IDEO. Uh, IDEO.org is, uh, does human-centered design, and what they find is when we can create prototypes and try things and look for the bright spots of what actually is working in a community, and we can replicate and build upon that, um, uh, Chip and Dan Heath's work in a book called Switch talks about this as well, um, is looking for where there are things that are actually working and how can we replicate those um, and bring those more into being. So first, one of the things that I'm um, encouraged about is um, the organization Braver Angels that is bringing people from, you know, I say both sides of the aisle, but, you know, the this inc- like your you know the this uh, these different narratives these different realities, bringing them together to actually debate and debate in 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 the best of all possible frames right where actually you're in high school and you're in a debate club that kind of debate and allowing people to describe their realities so that we can better understand them and look for a potential. Uh, potential reality where it holds um, everyone versus where it feels like your reality is completely opposite of mine. Uh, there's an, another organization that has done great work uh, called People's Supper and bringing people over a meal and having them talk about issues around um, politics, uh, race, um, another one that I want to point out to people, and uh, you have to go to Instagram to, to see her incredible work, but Makisha Noel create, has created an organization called The Living Room Project, and she created this when she was still at Georgetown University, um, and she wanted to bring people in to talk about um, both um, politics and race, um, and as an active, uh, an active, active, African-American activist, um, she's found some great breakthroughs there. So I, I start there. I look at what are the small ways that we can engage in conversations and, and at least try to understand this reality that we're being held. Meanwhile, what you're describing is it serves everyone to get us into their – it serves those who want to hold power <laughs> or manipulate us to get us into our reptilian brain. So we're seeing that in spades, and social media is a great avenue to help us to do that, right? I'm going to scare the living daylights out of you, and it's usually at the end of the day when when your um, prefrontal lobes are more offline and you, you know, go to bed terrified. Um, So how do I start to practice? One of the things for me is how do I practice recognizing um, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified and I'm not going to be thinking well. So how do I back myself up and um, get myself back, as I said, into a more uh, response mode versus reaction? Because just as everything you just described, it's it's really scary, and it's it's meant to be scary. Um, And uh, understandably, it creates stress for us if we're on social media and we're seeing um, this rhetoric that is so counter to our own and really 
um, calls us. So I guess is watching in Aikido, there is this uh, belief, and I, I refer to the great work of Tom Crum, The Magic of Conflict, great book. Um, but he always talks about when he's teaching, um, he'll hold your arm and start shaking your arm. Um, and so what you'll start to do is pay attention to your arm being shook, but he's still got another hand that he could, you know, give you a good wallop. So watching when are people trying to shake your arm um, and how to back up from that and go, oh, this is just intense. This is set to scare me. Um, so I, I say, you know, that, that, you know, how can we create those small living room projects, those small people's suppers? How can we be braver angels um, and uh, look for ways to have have just small conversations. And if nothing else, um, having I've had some conversations that have just really made me sad when I'm hearing, like you, though, this rhetoric that is just feels nonsensical. And if I can learn what that reality is, I'm just a tiny bit better um, positioned to look for a solution that can move us forward. Um, you know, and it, it's crazy to say a win-win solution because you think, oh, like, oh, I, I don't want that that rhetoric to win. But there's something below the fear. And, you know, what is it that people want? And what are they, you know, what are they afraid of? Um, and how do we move um, through that? I think one of the biggest problems we face is the fact, and I, I treat it as a fact. I've observed, I have heard from people, I read a fair amount, and so I have with great confidence concluded that a lot of the American electorate, particularly those who want to conserve American and family values, etc., who want to limit immigration, for example, and in particular, who may applaud the uh, dirty genius of Stephen Miller and what he was able to persuade the president of the United States to enact regarding people seeking asylum in the United States. Yes. When we see all of that, I have concluded that there are people that at this point in 2020 cannot tolerate the expanded inclusion of people who are culturally and even by the color of their skin or the their religious preference are just too unlike what we are accustomed to seeing in the mass culture of America. They are the other, and they are the the object of a great deal of xenophobia currently. And people who are xenophobic are highly motivated to vote. That's a big problem for what has always been known in this country, going back to the 18th century, as a melting pot culture. Yeah. Well, so you see, um, you know, I, there's some comfort in me in, in looking at history. Um, the creation of the other is something that we've done for thousands and thousands of years, right? And it's a strategy that is used to manipulate people as well. So, um, you know, how, so I, what you're describing is yes, yes, yes. I think um, Amy Chow's work in her book, Political Tribes, really speaks to this is that we when we don't recognize that human beings uh, have a pension for 
for tribalism, um, you know, seeing it as a human being problem, um, we get ourselves into trouble. So if I get you scared, um, you'll usually want to go go to your tribe, and your tribe then tells you what the narrative is that you have to believe, and it uh, sometimes makes absolutely no sense. Um, but that's uh, one of the ways that we, with our herd mentality, will go. So we're fighting against that. Um, we're really fighting against our own brains. Um, and how do we bring people into a place where they can move out of that and go into really what are their core values? Um, I love the uh, Let's Talk America when they were doing um, conversations across the political divide. They would ask people, tell me about the America um, that you held when you were 12 years old. Um, and then and that gets people out of their current rhetoric into, you know, the dreams and their, and their deeper values. Um, and it's so, you know, how do we keep asking those kinds of questions, is, you know, is key all the while, just as you're saying, it's scary. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm always, I, I love how we're talking about the different kinds of narratives that show up and recognizing how they can um, limit us and how, like, the exact opposite can also be true, right? Um, you know, for example, if we use this time to really, um, that those in the middle are called more into activism around the planet, around social justice, around marginalized communities, in some crazy, crazy way, Donald Trump will have been the best thing that's ever happened to us. Um, so, you know, it's that beauty of, of um, can, I, can I say yes and as I'm hearing these things and, um, and not allow uh, myself to, 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 to get subsumed by the fear. Um, you brought up oh, something else that was just beautiful. Oh, I was remembering... The story, and it's in Worst Enemy, Best Teacher, about C.P. Ellis and Anne Atwater, um, who became friends. And C.P. Ellis was, and uh, this is in 1971, uh, they were the two least likely people to become friends. Their rhetoric, um, C.P. Ellis was part of the Ku Klux Klan, and Atwater was a civil rights activist, African-American civil rights activist. And they had been trained to hate each other from the day, you know, the day they could speak. Um, but what they started to realize is they got, they, they were pushed to, they were on a school board and they were pushed to um, have conversations with each other and started to realize how those rhetoric, the, the narrative and rhetoric was set up to keep them apart. Because when they talked, they started to realize the incredible social injustice of what it meant to be poor in their community. Um, and they were able to consider what does it mean to actually get fair and um, just education for their children, even though they came from the tough parts of town. So watching where are we getting played and an understanding other people are getting played as well. Um, but, you know, what, where is my, my circle of control? Great questions. Really. You know, I I was hearing after um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away that she and Antonin Scalia were very close friends, very opposite politically, but they both loved opera. 
And so they would have a lot of opera conversations and that's what they had in common. And I guess that is a place to go. If you know for a fact that you are not going to agree with somebody politically and you don't want to fight, then there is looking for that common ground, whether it's um, you know, love of animals or cooking or opera or children or something else that you can come together with. You can make that connection using something that you both agree on as opposed to um, being in conflict about things that you're certain you don't agree on. One of the things that you said, Deidre, that kind of struck a note with me was talking about um, going back to when you were 12 years old and what the world was like, because I can remember having a conversation with my father when he was in his 70s, and he was saying that he lived in the best of times, the best Mm. of times, and he grew up in the 30s and and following the Depression, 30s and 40s, and he would, you know, gather coal and resell it and things that he did as a little boy with, you know, his little wagon. And then he would set up bowling pins and uh, he loved the music. He learned how to dance. And and I looked at him like he was nuts. I said, what? Best of times. Mm-hmm. Those were not the best of times. I grew up in the best of times. You know, that I grew up great. in the 60s where, you know, there was, you know, people were living well and. And, uh, you know, it was a good time and we didn't have to worry about money or anything. And um, and it, it's good, I think, when everybody feels like they grew up in the best of times. Mm, and, yeah. And, and, then, and then asking the most powerful question of all of, tell me more. And you yeah. understand what made those the best of times. And then to start to recognize you can hear where the core values are that that person holds and that there's multiple ways that we can come up with a solution. Um, you know, so often we get fixated on the form. This is the way this needs to look. This is the way America needs to look. It needs to, you know, and, and Gary, you, in Suzanne, you're bringing up beautifully how, um, you know, in some ways people think it should have a certain demographic, right? But moving out of a form into a greater um, creativity around what is the solution that we can find. Uh, that that works. So yes, that uh, um, yeah. I'm when I'm teaching, I, I have the great opportunity of working with uh, fellows that are sponsored by the State Department to come to the U.S. to learn uh, leadership and conflict re- resolution, and work with them on months at a time. And I say, okay, I'm telling you a lot, but if you remember nothing else, just remember to say, tell me more. Um, and and in that, uh, everything can change. Uh, I remember you, you reminded me as well of the amazing mediator, Hal Saunders, who's another mentor. And his, the title of his seminal book is Politics is About Relationships. And uh, he, for 50 years, was part of something called the Dart- Dartmouth Conversation Project, I think. Uh, and I don't have that quite right, but it was, took place at Dartmouth. And it was between um, diplomats and officials from Russia and the U.S. And they met together for 50 years. And there were all sorts of um, conflicts that were averted in that room because they had 50-year-long friendships. 
And uh, so, and very different belief systems and narratives and, uh, you know, political situation. So, yeah, uh, thank you for, for sending yeah. me off in that direction. We've got about three minutes left, Deidre. I wanted to throw some love at your, I believe it was your first book, The Way of Conflict. Mm. Yes. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Um, people want to learn great. what makes you tick, and they want to learn the, the do's and don'ts, the ins and outs. And all. I would recommend, just as a reader, I would recommend The Way of Conflict because you show people the way of conflict, and it, you describe it as elemental in nature. Yeah. Yeah, you, thank you for that, Gary. That is a that book is such a um, holds just great heart for me. Um, the it, it's it's my it's a way for me to remember as well is that yeah that without conflict we don't grow. Um, I remember when I started writing that book, I thought I just want to get so good at conflict that I always look graceful and beautiful, and everybody thinks I'm amazing. And I got to the end, and one of the greatest gifts was I realized, oh, it's not anything about looking good, but it's about learning and, and birthing a new me. Um, I'm a mother of three, and I realized, oh, conflict resolution is a lot like birth. It's messy. Um, there's, you know, nothing what you expected, uh, you, you know, and, and you get to the other side, and it's like, and it, it's, it's painful. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, filled with every tip and technique I could think of as we go through the four phases of conflict and how those are, um, really connected, uh, to, uh, just these four phases that you find in any great story. Um, you'll notice that there's a good movie always has to have some good conflict in it. Every myth, just the same. So. Thank you and for hopefully, bringing, bringing hopefully, yeah, and hopefully a happy ending to all of it, where the conflict does become resolved by the end of the movie. <laughs> That's yes, always the good exactly. part. Exactly. <laughs> but I love, and yeah, you know, I love Suzanne. You bring that up in the Hindu tradition. One of the spiritual teachings is because um, you know I love looking at perennial wisdom. Is that you know when you're on this planet, you're going to have conflict. So we're not going to get it all put back together and right, but how do we play well? How do we lead well? How do we love well? And that that's really where, what we're being asked to learn while we're here. Deidre so, Combs, so happy to have you with us. An honored guest anytime. Can't wait to meet you in person someday. And in the meantime, let's look forward to the next time you publish a book. That's coming up one of these days, and we'll have you back. Oh, thank you, Gary. Thank you, Suzanne. What a joy to be with you. All right. Have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Jupiter Rising. And uh, join us next Friday. And pay attention to the news because there's a lot going on. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.